Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. And welcome back to Grassroots Marketing on CannabisRio.com. We're happy to go welcome back a guest that I actually appeared on the Blunt Business Program last fall. So a year later, we have a whole lot more that's going on in the discussion. Uh, he counsels clients on the evolving complex legal and business issues impacting companies with interests in the regulated substances industries. His experience encompasses investigations and administrative and enforcement proceedings brought on by state, federal, and self-regulatory bodies, including the U.S., the SEC, Florida Attorney General's Office, the Florida Department of Financial Services, and the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation. I'm happy to welcome back to Cannabis Radio, Jonathan Robbins, Chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Ackerman, LLP. Jonathan, thanks for being on with us. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me. Where's Ackerman? Isn't I always get that? Always kind of. Oh, it's it, it's Ackerman, but that's okay. It is Ackerman. I thought that's what I thought it was. Well, I'm going to keep that in there. Now, specifically, one of the things that you've been focusing on right now is the Safe Banking Act. So, as of late, we know that the U.S. Senate Committee actually went ahead and passed forward finalizing the Safe Banking Act or the Safer Banking Act of 2023, and creating a federal framework for institutions to provide services to license cannabis businesses and preventing banking regulators from penalizing them for it. So uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, uh, I believe of Ohio, said he fully expects the bill to pass, and I believe that's already been done. So one of the things is that did this framework could be enforced and how provisions can affect payment processes and cannabis companies alike. So you know, while we're looking at this, there are all these different things that policymakers are trying to do now to give more relief financially and more opportunities financially to the cannabis sector. But where are we right now? Even though this got through committee, it's still a bill that we have to wait to get put up for a vote. That's 100% correct. And we've been down this road before yeah. with the Safe Banking Act which was, I guess, the, the predecessor bill, but that one made it through the House about seven times and, and continued to stall in the Senate. Because this one uh, was introduced by uh, bipartisan uh, Senator Daines of Montana and Merkley, a Democrat from Oregon, uh, this one should have more traction because the, the, the general wisdom is that if it makes it through the Senate, uh, the House should be less of a, uh, less of a hurdle. Um, on the other hand, Right now, we're dealing with some other issues that may really pose a problem, namely uh, the fact that we do not have a Speaker of the House uh, and the person, Jim Jordan, uh, who is the front runner, at least as we sit here today, right. is uh, very much not in favor of cannabis reform in any way, shape or form. And of course, uh, we have a situation going on in Israel right now, which is going to, of course, demand the attention mm -hmm. of Congress once they are back. Uh, up and running and working again. However, um, it, it, it's certainly a hope. Uh, it, it's everybody in the industry's hope uh, that the Safer Banking Act or some version of the Safer Banking Act makes it through. And, and, and hopefully that'll happen before, um, before March or so, before primary time, because 
there's a sort of general sense in the industry that if it doesn't happen before then, it might not happen this year. Well, and the thing is, I don't know what the difference is between what the Safe Banking Act proposed and what the Safer Banking Act was revised to say. I mean, it added to something where it could have a better chance to go ahead and make it through committee once again, this time through Senate, because originally the Safe Banking Act went to the House a couple of years ago when they went through that route, but it just it felt, it never got up for a vote. Same thing now here with the Senate. So is it just the Senate version of the bill, or is it anything that's real distinguishing, any of these characteristics that are different from the original intent of what the Safe Banking Act was supposed to be? Sure. I, I think the intent is more or less the same. Predominantly, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the bill are, are intact. The goal being to provide a safe harbor for banks, credit unions or other financial institutions and payment processors uh, to provide services to state licensed cannabis businesses. In other words, not uh, illicit market operators, but operators and multi-state operators that are acting legally, at least under, under state law. Uh, notwithstanding the you know conflict between state and federal law um then again the 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 bill is mostly intact most of the changes deal with uh, section 10 uh, which effectively provides for more regulatory scrutiny and requires both banks and regulators to ensure that depository institutions serve rural areas and moderate income communities and tribal communities which really hadn't been discussed in the in the prior bill. You know, and I remember we talked last time, we were talking about how, if it's not that, what other options are there? And one of the areas that I had mentioned to you before, and I just want to follow back up on it, was the fact that there was a certified anti-money laundering specialist, Robert Barron. I mentioned to you before that he wrote, spoke with Benzinga talking about that the legislation was not the, was the wrong solution for the right problem, but they were talking about making changes to the financial crimes enforcement network and their guidance to bank cannabis to change that up. Was there anything that's ever gone any farther with that discussion? I mean, cause if that was an option, it was brought out there into the ether, but did anything ever get acted on? Not, not really. Um, I, I presume he's referring to the FinCEN guidance that was passed back in 2014. I'm right. sorry, not passed. That was that was issued back in 2014 right. because it's not legislation. It's it's guidance from effectively in the enforcement arm of the Department of the Treasury, which piggybacked the Cole Memorandum, which I, I think you and I actually discussed before, uh, again, which was some guidance that was issued during the Obama administration that effectively said, hey, we, the federal government and the Department of Justice in particular and the Department of Treasury, are not going to interfere with folks who are operating legally under state law, particularly in states with you know, robust regulatory regimes, um, as long as certain conditions are met. And those conditions are sort of the, the avoidance of money laundering, the avoidance of organized crime, the avoidance of sales to minors, uh, the avoidance of uh, driving while under the influence. And as long as these sort of priorities are met, uh, then it was the position of the, the the DOT and the DOJ, DOT meaning Department of Treasury, not transportation, right. uh, that we're not going to get involved. This is not how we want to use our resources. Um, unfortunately, even revised guidance, I'm not entirely sure that that's going to breathe any fresh air into the financial services industry because 
while yes, there are probably upwards of 800 banks now that are uh, banking in one form or another, the industry, you know, from either hemp to full-blown uh, cannabis or medical marijuana, the fact is that I don't think that uh, most of these highly regulated entities were getting a real sense of comfort from FinCEN guidance. They want legislation that gives them a safe harbor. So I do think that in order to move forward, legislation is required. But I guess the question is really, is this the legislation that's going to give it the biggest push? And, and the answer is probably not. First of all, uh, the Safer Banking Act, like the Safe Banking Act, doesn't address, in my view, a couple of very key issues, one of which is the avoidance of uh, Rule 280E, which is an IRS provision that in, imposes an incredible uh, burden on the industry. And that, of course, could be the subject of a whole now, other. I want to bring up 280E because in one of the areas, while we can see what will happen with the safer or Safe Banking Acts and see if we can get them up for a vote. But one of the things that's already been done since we last talked, which is I think is the most promising thing for the industry right now, from a financial business standpoint, is there was a recent Congressional Research Service report that says that, you know, the Biden administration is likely to approve a recommendation by the DEA to reclassify cannabis under the drug laws from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. And that would actually help in terms of federal policy regarding cannabis effects on housing, immigration, gun rights, taxation of cannabis businesses and more. So the 280E clause would be mute, like the, the that companies will no longer be behooven to the IRS code and that that tax revenue that can now write off their taxes like any other business that that that's right and and, and you nailed it on the head that's exactly where I was going uh, a rescheduling or in my view a complete descheduling which I believe would be more appropriate and would not wreak as much havoc on the industry uh, is is really the way to go in terms of because it's going to open up the doors to banking and financial services like the Safer Banking Act, but it would do so much more on the taxation side, which has really been, I would say, the, the very biggest burden on the industry, the inability to be able to take the typical and standard deductions that other companies can take has been a, a noose around the neck of the cannabis industry because you have uh, companies that have an effective tax rate that is through the roof two or three or four times higher than other traditional businesses. And it makes it, for so many other reasons, more difficult to eke out a profit uh, in this industry. And, and you know, you're also dealing with other aspects of the business that makes it very difficult uh, or more expensive, I should say, uh, to operate. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
security and things of that nature. Uh, so, so the rescheduling, if it goes to schedule three as opposed to one or two, will absolutely moot out the 280E issue. Um, it might cause a whole other you know, host of issues to smaller operators that may be now regulated by um, FDA requirements and trials and things of that nature. But uh, in terms of financial impact, uh, I do think that that rescheduling and, and again, I think descheduling uh, would definitely be the way to go if we really want monumental change in the industry. And also, I'll take it from a story from Forbes to talk about this. Just so people know, it's a descheduling, but it's not to the point where it's a deschedule where it can be pharmacist recommended or, or dispensed. It's still something where in the same line as ketamine, anabolic steroids, testosterone, and products containing less than 90 milligrams of coding per dose, it will remove some barriers that are facing the regulated cannabis industry. So there's just that part, but it's still, yeah. I mean, that that is a carrot. And that's the Biden administration actually putting out an executive order to review, which that's at least something they did. But for whatever Indeed. reason, the president never wants to go ahead and go forward with, you know, if, if, if he was given a bill to sign because the bills were always put out. But again, Congress right now can't get anything up for a vote yet. It's not on the priority. Not when it's not, you know, appropriating money towards the Ukraine or to Israel right now for war efforts. But otherwise... <laughs> Everything sure. else is taking a backseat. Everything is taking a backseat right now. And again, like I mentioned, without a Speaker of the House, that makes things even more difficult. And and yes, I, I think that everybody understands that there are issues right now on an international level that are extremely pressing and need to be dealt with. So, you know, I, I think everybody is prepared to sit back patiently and wait. They've been doing so for many, many years and they will continue to do so. But you know, these these nuggets that we've had over the past three or four months, uh, the the fact that the Safer Banking Act had made it through committee uh, and the fact that the recommendation came out from the present administration to reschedule have definitely been carrots. Uh, they have affected uh, the price in a positive way of most uh, publicly traded uh, cannabis or ancillary service company stocks, at least for a little while. Um, I'd like to see that to continue. And, and that raises another question, which is one of the things that, again, in my view, is really missing from the Safer Banking Act, and I would have loved to have seen it in there, is to provide access to the capital markets. Uh, because, again, it's not a matter of, you know, NASDAQ being shut down if they were to publicly list a cannabis company, but the regulatory ramifications are frightening, and I understand there's a lot of trepidation there. Uh, if, in fact, the Safer Banking Act were to provide access to the U.S. securities exchanges for cannabis companies, I, I think that that would be another huge step in the right direction. Because, you know, the way the industry works, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, is that even companies that are operating here in the U.S. that touch the plant that don't have access uh, to the, the larger securities markets, at least, are trading on the Canadian exchanges. Uh, and I would love for that money uh, to be able to make it its way over to the U.S. exchanges and for these companies to be able to enjoy all the benefits of any other uh, of any other public company. I want to go ahead and pivot now and talk about Florida and the state of Florida now and where things are with the Cannabis Legalization Initiative to make it to the 2024 uh major election of uh, that next uh, election cycle to the ballot. 
And so the yeah. vote right now, the Supreme Court of Florida is already scheduling oral arguments. I don't know where we are with that, but they've already scheduled for November that it'll see if it's all done. Now, they've gotten briefs from the both the state attorney general filing a legal challenge against the cannabis measure, asking yeah. for it to be invalidated, smart and safe Florida campaign behind the proposed reform. So from the last time we remember, there was some language in the original petition that if they just took it out, then the petition could go forward and the ballot could, could be put up for vote. And Florida voters like myself uh, would build, and I believe you as well in Florida, right? So we would have been able to yeah. vote on the initiative finally for adult use. Correct. So where does everybody look like right now? Do you do you see that we have the chance that you know? Is there anything that's going to be holding this back this time? I it I think that the only thing that will be holding us back is the Florida Supreme Court because. Um, Obviously, uh, uh, Safe and Smart has garnered uh, a lot of support. They've gotten the signatures on the petition. I've reviewed the, la- the ballot language that was really crafted with the prior uh, challenges to medical cannabis in mind. In other words, that was a, that was a battle that was lost at one point and then finally won. Uh, so the, the sponsors of the bill took great care uh, to make sure that the language did not violate the single subject rule and that the language was clear and unambiguous and not misleading to voters. Um, and and in, again, in my view, because I can only speak from my own personal point of view, I think that they have really succeeded in, in doing so. Uh, it, is, it is as sort of plain and benign under the circumstances as one could imagine. Uh, Ashley Moody uh, and, and at the direction of the governor's office has, has in fact challenged it, no matter what yeah. the language would be. I suspect that would have been the case. Um, and we are set for oral argument on November 8th up in Tallahassee. I will be there. I will not be arguing, uh, but I'm very excited to, uh, to see how this goes. I've, I've been up to the Florida Supreme Court uh, twice before on our efforts to uh, challenge from constitutional perspective, vertical integration in Florida and the requirement uh, on the caps on the number of dispensaries and uh, on the number of licenses, excuse me. And this was a this was a suit that we won at trial. We won on appeal. We went up to the Supreme Court for oral argument twice and and were shut down. And again, my personal opinion was that was not the right decision. So what gives me the most um, grief, what makes me bite my nails the most for this particular uh, bill is, in fact, uh, the Florida Supreme Court, which is a very conservative Supreme Court. Um shooting down the language for one reason or another. Now, one of the things, if it does does pass Mm -hmm. uh, the Supreme court level, if it passes muster uh, polling seems to suggest, and I am very confident that it will ultimately pass. One of the things we can make point of, and I I've talked to, you know, people, you know, on blunt business and grassroots marketing about the fact of when we went to this last time in 2020 and the fact that there were two, competing petitions that was regulate florida uh michael minority held that head that yep. round and yep. listen you know it was a different petition because it was it was really more supportive of grassroots companies meanwhile the msos are backing smart and safe florida specifically true leaf they just add another five hundred thousand dollars at the ballot initiative so they're putting money behind it yes. and, you know and it's like okay the lobbying money's there they want to get this done and obviously you know, they're they're definitely banking on this to get adult use because they want to get that across the board. And really, the state of Florida has really been managed mostly by MSOs. Like, you really don't see a lot of grassroots 
cannabis dispensaries or cultivators. It's MSO run. And that's just the way they wanted to play the game. I can't knock them for that. But if it means we get legalization here in Florida, so be it. Yeah, agreed. You know, the, the way that the the way that the uh, structure has been set up in Florida uh, sort of creates a situation in which MSOs are going to dominate because the cost of entry is so expensive and the bar is so high uh, that, you know, typically, and, and, and as you know, we had another round of applications a few months ago. We're waiting to hear from the state on that. Uh, but of the 74 or so applications that were submitted, uh, the majority of them are people that are already operating or companies that are already operating in other states, again, because they have the experience and the money to be able to do that. And so it comes as no surprise uh, that that the, the bill that is uh, sponsored so heavily by the Florida industry and by truly in particular uh, would, would, you know, sort of keep the status quo, in other words, not deal with issues such as home grow, but rather deal with, um, you know, allowing the existing licensees to go uh, forward and, and sell adult use cannabis in Florida. Uh, it doesn't come as a surprise, uh, but again, anything that opens the doors, anything that gets us headed in the right direction uh, is a positive thing for me. And, and let's not forget about, you know, right now we have a very robust medical program in Florida. We have over 800,000 patients, yeah. I believe. Um, and it, it's not being taxed and, and, and it should not be because this is medicine. On the other hand, uh, when we talk about adult use or recreational use in the state of Florida, and it opens the doors to taxation, it will benefit the state. And again, uh, a different there are different opinions on the subject, but I believe it'll go a long way in starting to you know knock knock out the illicit market in Florida, right? Which thrives, and it's fine if we can get it done. the The thing is, if you want social equity in Florida, if you want these. The, the smaller run businesses, the, the craft style cannabis businesses to begin, they're going to have to go ahead and intervene with whatever that cannabis control board right now is in place. They need to go ahead and speak with a, a state of Florida to get that done. Try to get that initiative for them because obviously the MSOs are going to run here and you know they do a pretty good job. Listen, uh, for all the dispensaries we have down here, I mean, I see where they all are. I mean, I'm in West Palm Beach, all of yep. them. They're all chains basically, but they're well managed. They're well taken care of. They, they you know, fit well aesthetically across everything else that's going on in the commercial market. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, and I appreciate all the efforts that, you know, the other petitions and other groups out there have done to go ahead and herald and advocate for Florida to get legal cannabis and adult use. So, I mean, at least we got here, at least we're here. It might not be exactly what everybody wants, but I'm happy with that. At least we have it now because Florida should be a state that will, have a windfall of revenue once it gets adult use. Agreed. And 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 I, I couldn't agree with you more. Anything is a step in the right direction. And I do also agree with you that the the licensees that are approved in the state of Florida now are, are doing an excellent job of of from a regulatory compliance standpoint doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, but but uh, there has been an emphasis on patient education, on treating patients properly on not uh, taking advantage financially of people. So, you know, and we work very hard with a lot of these uh, existing licensees and MSOs. And, and, and my sense has always been, we know everybody's watching. We want to be regulatorily compliant. Please forgive me for the background noise. No problem. You're fine. 
Um, so they, they are doing it right at, as far as I can tell. And, and, and we're heading where we need to head. So now what will happen? Will there be any changes right now going forward with what we'll have as, as currently right now, Florida's office of medical marijuana use, are we going to get a proper cannabis control board? Will there be a reformation if this does pass? I think there will have to be because it's not going to be run by the department of health, but the, the language of the bill is, is actually purposefully open in that respect. In other words, it leaves it open to the legislature to regulate it or not. Um, Presumably, the legislature will, in fact, heavily regulate adult use cannabis in Florida if it passes. And, you know, who ultimately will be that regulator remains to be seen at this point. But I, uh, I, I don't imagine that it will be the OMMU as currently made up. Uh, and in fact, you know, we may find ourselves in a situation, and I wouldn't have a problem with this, where there are parallel uh, medical and adult use programs. Right. Like in other states like Colorado. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, we'll see it while it all comes in, but I mean, if it gets on to vote, it was not that far off in 2016 to where we can get, I mean, it was obviously overwhelmingly supported by Florida voters. I have no doubt this time that Florida voters are going to overwhelmingly two thirds plus are going to pass this constitutional amendment. The ballot initiative will pass pretty easily. I don't even think there'll be a doubt in my mind. It will not pass in 2024. And then what 2025, we can institute it. That'll be great. I share your optimism, 100. percent All right, let's go ahead and send people over to your website, and also for those that want to go ahead and connect with you and your team. Obviously, you do a lot of talking out there, and a lot of work when it comes to the cannabis practice. The website is Akerman.com, A-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. And real quickly, for those that want to go and reach out to you, why should they? Sure. Well, you know, you know, we. Yes, we do represent uh, the MSOs and the big operators of the world, but we also represent uh, ancillary service providers like banks and financial institutions that are servicing the industry as well as private equity, um, you know, seed to sale tracking software companies. But, but the fact is we do not, you know, although we're a big firm and we've been around 100 years, 100 plus years, um, I understand that this is a nascent industry and the firm has given me the sort of green light to 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 go ahead and, and and run this practice you know as i see fit as long as it's ethical and so we've made a commitment to not only represent you know the the, the bigger companies uh but we've tried very hard to to represent anybody that's trying to get in the industry we're, we're very open uh we're very big on relationships you know i'm not gonna jump on the phone with you and send you a bill so people who have questions people who want to get in the industry and sometimes you know, I, I will politely tell them that, you know, this might not be the right opportunity for them. Uh, but but uh, I don't want people to look us at, at, at some, you know, big law firm only representing big clients because we represent a lot of people who are younger entrepreneurs who don't necessarily have the uh, financial wherewithal to be, you know, spending million, millions of dollars. But uh, and, and we also operate on a national basis. So there are other markets like California, like Colorado where the bar to entry is not so high. And we, and we certainly can service anybody who's thinking about getting into the business either directly uh, or as an ancillary service provider. Maybe they have a, you know, a, some sort of platform that, that might uh, greatly benefit the industry. So all are welcome. Anybody who wants to reach out to us, again, it's Jonathan Robbins. And uh, we have a fantastic team across the country. Happy to speak to anybody who wants to chat with us. 
Once again, website, A-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. Again, Chair mm-hmm. of Cannabis Practice for Ackerman LLP. Jonathan Robbins, join me here on Grassroots Marketing. Thanks for being on again, and uh, let's definitely keep up, and let's go Florida, and let's see if we get to go ahead and talk about that next year. That'll be great. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for speaking. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.